Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 667. Well, I think for me, the biggest mantra would really be that the world is full of possibilities. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, my friend, Deb Pollock. Hey, Deb, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am so ready, Mark. All right. Great to have you here. Deb Pollock is a luxury automotive consultant with a focus on promoting her clients, their products, and services to the automotive enthusiast. She spent the better part of three decades representing quality companies with big names and big reputations, including Mitsubishi Motors, GM, Ferrari, Maserati, Singer Vehicle Design, plus numerous Concours events around the country. A philanthropist at heart, Debs advocated the ability to team cars and camaraderie together, bringing a support and focus to the challenges of Parkinson's disease. She's the founder of Drive Towards the Cure, an all-new nonprofit alternative to numerous for-profit driving events, creating a new driving event to raise funds and awareness to benefit finding a cure for Parkinson's disease. So, Deb, I've told our listeners just a tiny little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, sure, sure. I've, I'm pleased to be here, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> it's and, great to um... have you here. I know you're having some sunshine down there. We've got snow on the ground here in Gig Arbor, so I wish I was with you in L.A. right now. Well, it's a chilly day here, too, but at least we do have sunshine. There you go. Well, tell me a little bit or tell our listeners a little bit about what you do. I'm on the primarily on the PR side. I'm a publicist for uh, various uh, luxury brands in the automotive profession, but I, I really started out in cars back when I got out of school when I was in my early 20s, and I worked for an agency for quite some time, mm-hmm. and I worked on the, the Mitsubishi Motors business um, for a very, very long time. In a period of the late 80s and through the 90s, during that time, they were really quite a brand on the rise. They were one of the first Japanese companies to to put a manufacturing plant in the Midwest, and it was probably one of the highest at the time, yeah. you know, most technologically advanced ones, something that I was very proud of. I really watched their numbers grow for a very, very long time. And really, more importantly than, than what that brand did for itself is what it did for me in the industry, because it was a time for me to, to kind of learn the ropes of automotive 
completely yeah. as far as going back and, and meeting with press and getting to know the people in the industry and the people that, that I found and the relationships that I began when I was in my early 20s, I'm, I'm really happy to say, are still relationships that I hold till today. Oh, yeah. And that's what's been really, really fun and exciting about being in this industry because we, we really, everywhere we go, we, we seem to know people, we have friends everywhere. And even when people switch, whether it's, you know, going off to a different publication or going to work for a different manufacturer, we all kind of come together with one common cause. And it's been really, really nice and rewarding. Oh, absolutely. And I'll let our listeners know, I originally met Deb a few years back. And it seems like everywhere I go to a car event, she's already there. She's introduced me to so many great people who become guests here in Cars. Yeah, one of them is, of course, Rob Dickinson, who I know you're publicist for, Singer Vehicle Design. Uh, I wish Santa Claus would bring me one of those this year. Uh, I've been asking, I got to tell you, but I have a feeling it's not going to get parked under the tree this year. Deb is somebody who's really well connected and knows so many people. And we're going to learn more about you, Deb, and share more about you as we go through the questions here. But first, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your career, your life, your success. And it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Deb, take the wheel. Well, I think for me, the biggest mantra would really be that the world is full of possibilities. I'm a pretty positive person, and I think that, you know, if you ask my friends, they'll tell you, I'm always willing to try something new, thinking out of the box, giving things a try. I'm, I'm really open to meeting new people and trying to connect people. You know, I, I grew up with a dad who always said, you know, they can't say no until you ask. <laughs> and, um, and I've just always been willing to try and kind of see where things go. And I think it's really important that, that people meet people and people stay connected. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really open to the world of possibilities. Uh, it's fantastic. Perfect for what you do and the kind of personality you have. And as I mentioned, Deb has brought so many great people to the Cars yeah! podcast here and connected me with so many great people. It's really been a blessing for me. So I appreciate what you do. Would you share a story that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment when you think back in your life when you knew that you were a car gal? Oh, gosh. You know, um, there's there's so many small, small little things that have happened. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, um, from the time that I was young, I always kind of noticed cars. I grew up with an older brother. Mm. And, of course, you know, he made sure I knew about cars. <laughs> and, and I remember, you know, driving to my grandmother's on Sundays and we'd sit in the back seat. And in those days, you didn't have seatbelts in the car. So you can either be very far away from the person next to you or very close. <laughs> yeah. And he would quiz me on the cars that were going past us. And he would always say, what's that? What's that? And if I didn't know the answer, I got a little punch in the arm. <laughs> so I pretty much learned every car on the road very quickly. Uh, yeah, the slug bug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'd have to say that the turning point for me in, in really, you know, enjoying a car probably came around the time that I first learned to drive a stick shift, uh, a manual transmission. Mm. And, and that was also probably the time that I first fell in love with the Porsche brand because I didn't even have my license yet. And my cousin had had a brand new 1976 Targa. Ooh. And I remember it specifically because it was my mom's surprise 50th birthday party. And there is not one photo of me from the party because my cousin said, do you want to come out and learn how to drive this? Uh, yeah. And of course, <laughs> I ran. <laughs> and we got in and she was down on the floor the whole time with her hands on my feet saying smooth, smooth, Oh, my smooth. gosh. Wow. And, and, and it wasn't an easy clutch, you know. It was. It was kind of a, a tough car to learn on, but I remember just really wanting to try, feeling how incredibly cool I thought it was and what a challenge it was. And it was just a whole different kind of love that began for me, uh, both yeah. with cars and with Porsche. So it's just something I never forgot. 
You know, not too many kids are lucky enough to learn how to drive a manual car in a Porsche. I taught both my kids how to drive a manual car in my uh, 72911S, and because I wanted them to have that story for the rest of their life. You know, whether they're car people or not, I just thought it would be a cool thing. Yeah, if you can li- drive an early 911, then you pretty much drive any manual car, so wonderful story. Well, Deb, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood. You've been pretty much a entrepreneur your whole life. Uh, you worked for that agency, but you're working for yourself now. We know that's a roller coaster ride. It's ups and downs, a lot of work. I'd like for you to share a huge challenge, even a big failure that you faced along the way. But of course, the most important part of this question has to do with what did it teach you so you can move forward and share with the other listeners out there. So uh, take us to that painful point in time and kind of walk us through the story. Well, I was at an international PR agency for 17 years. And as I mentioned, I was handling the Mitsubishi Motors business for the the big bulk of that time. And then we had gotten to a point with that agency when they were bought by a larger company and they let go about 20, 30 people Uh, throughout the United States. And I was one of the ones who had been let go. And I'd been there since, you know, I was in my early 20s and had never really interviewed for another Uh job. So I wasn't quite sure, you know, where I was going to go or what I was going to do or or how to really work things out. And I got a call from a headhunter who um, wanted to fly me out to go meet with the folks at Ferrari and Maserati. And um, it was interesting because, you know, my husband and all his friends were like, oh my God, you're going to go meet with Ferrari. You got to get this job. You got to get this job. And and for me, you know, having worked with Mitsubishi and having worked with, you know, just a different demographic than that, I thought, well, what can I possibly bring to this to the table here. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how am I going to do this? And when I went down and I met with people, what I found out was they weren't, weren't just looking for someone for Maserati, excuse me, for Ferrari. It was at the time that they were relaunching the Maserati brand. Mm. And what really, really excited me most was to think about being a part of a small company with a big name that I could make a, a different kind of an impact on oh, yeah. and learn what that was really all about. So I was pretty fortunate that I was able to get involved with them. And I stayed with them for, for seven years working on the partnership side and public relations and lifestyle and automotive. And then during the height of the recession in 2009, once again, I was caught and, and was let go. And I thought now for the second time in my yeah. life, what the heck am I going to do? Now I've had two jobs in my life. Mm-hmm. How am I going to go interview? I don't know what to do. Yeah. And then I was fortunate enough because two weeks later, Maserati called me and said, gosh, we, we really still need your help. And that was when I took a serious step forward and hung out that shingle and said, I think I'm going to be a consultant. Nice. And they became my first client. Yeah. Talk about a pivot and turning. It was, a- <laughs> it was the best thing I had ever not planned to do. Uh, I like the way you said that. Yeah. Turning Lemonade from lemons. Wow. Fantastic story. Uh, It's a great inspiration for people out there that go through these downsizing of companies or changes in companies, changes in ownership, where it's really nothing you do. It's just something that happens and you feel like, oh my gosh, what can I do? So ah, bravo to you. And I think you've definitely found your niche and your success, uh, most definitely. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call the career aha moment. It's one of those times when those wonderful headlights come on and kind of illuminate a way down a new path for a new journey. Tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. I think for me, one of the aha moments is really just learning 
pretty much how incestuous our industry truly is. <laughs> you know, I mean, whether you're working on the agency or the corporate side or, or working with media, it's really been all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And and that's the part I like the best in anything we do. You know, we're, we're lucky to be in an industry where people are truly friends. And even if they work for competing brands, we're, you know, as I said, we're, we're really all in this together. Right. And I think back to my days um, when I worked with Mitsubishi Motors in the late 80s, and that was the time of Japan bashing. Mm. And as you can remember, and probably Probably just imagine it was a very difficult time to come to Detroit, especially for the auto show. Yeah, people weren't sure, you know, where the direction was going to go, what was happening, and we took a faster look because we said, "Gosh, at the time, we're, we're only the number fifth Japanese manufacturer. We're not the number one being called upon, mm-hmm. but we really wanted to take a step up." And we created for the Sunday night before the Detroit Auto Show began, which in those days they did not use for press days. No one had done anything on the weekends. Mm. So we kind of claimed the Sunday night and we started a Mardi Gras party. And it was (laughs) a party out in Greektown where we opened it up to the entire industry. Mm. And it was for media. It was for international press. It was for other manufacturers because our goal was to say this is not a domestic situation. We're part of the global economy. You know, we can all work together. So we started this party and the first year we were there, we probably had four or 500 people that came and we also added a charity element to it to support the Detroit Children's Hospitals. And we encouraged for the point of entry, anyone who, who wanted to come had to bring a children's book gift wrapped that we were giving to to the Detroit Children's Hospitals. And it was pretty incredible because the party really became quite a sensation for a while. And we for eight years, we ran that party. And everyone in the industry came and they looked forward to it. And during the year, they would talk about, you know, what book are you going to bring? <laughs> you know, what, I, I got to get a better book than you. Yeah. And and the party just grew and grew. And, and we did it for quite some time. And not just about an entry into Detroit, but again, an entry into relationships. Because the people that came to that still talk about it. And the people that you are a part of in this industry, we, we really are all in this together. Yeah. And we want to find a way that everyone should get along. Well, it was a brilliant idea, and I love the idea of bringing in um, a gift or a charity organization to help out others. I mean, who could say no to a kid, for goodness sake? And it's an easy entry point for people to get a book and have some fun with that, of course. So, uh, ah, fantastic. I know I remember the first book, real book my parents ever bought me was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. And I still have that to this day. It's all tattered. I've read it so many times, but that was my first what I call real book. Obviously, Ian Fleming, uh, for those of you who don't know, the James Bond guy wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is something that people are always surprised I did not about. know that. Yeah, there you go. So I educated another person today. But uh, yeah, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was written by Ian Fleming of James Bond fame. So uh, yeah, fantastic story. Great, great job. Well, maybe that answers the next question I have for you, and that is proudest career moment. Is there one? I'm sure you've had many, but is there one you could share? Yeah, you know, I'd I'd have to say that for me, it comes from blending charitable work with the professional side of what I do. When I worked for Maserati, I had the wonderful opportunity to meet and become friends with Phil Hill and his family. And and when he turned 80 and he was challenged by Parkinson's, we brought him out to the Western Automotive Journalists um, media event, which was at Laguna Seca Raceway. And we did not tell the press that we were bringing him along. And we chose to celebrate his 80th birthday that way. And we brought out Doug Magnan's Maserati MC12. Mm. And we asked Phil's son, Derek, to please drive Phil on the track in that car. Nice. 
And there was not a dry eye in the house because he was not at a point where he could drive anymore and for him to get into that vehicle. And so from a professional perspective, it was really a matter of pride because we kind of felt like we were the bookends as Maserati of his racing career. You know, he had he had won his first Grand Prix and driven in his first Grand Prix in 1958 in REMS. That was in a Maserati. And then his last track experience was in this wonderful MC12. So that was pretty wonderful. Yeah. But the story actually for me personally kind of goes on a little bit more because the prouder moment I had about it actually came, unfortunately, after he had passed away because uh, we decided we would bring the MC-12 back to Laguna Seca and we would sell passenger hot laps asking Derek to drive the car again to raise some funds for Parkinson's. Oh, brilliant. Uh, in Phil's name. Yeah. And um, I didn't know what to charge because I had never done anything like that before. <laughs> and we publicized it at the Danville Concours. Before this event happened, we brought the MC-12 up to the Concours, and we started selling these these mm-hmm. passenger laps, and I sold them for $250 a piece, and then we went out to the track and did it and sold more that day at the track, and at the end of an hour and a half, we had raised $7,500. Oh, my God. Wow. And I was just blown away, yeah. and, and then some people said, oh, my God, I would have paid even more than that. And the best part was, was that before I flew home, I drove down to the Parkinson's Institute and I opened up my purse and I just, you know, gave Dr. Langston all the money and said, you know, this is all in Phil's name because it was the institute he had been treated at. And we really wanted to support that. And I think that was something that I was really, really proud of and has kind of led me through this day to to continue supporting that cause mm-hmm. for, for personal reasons as well as the professional ones. Yeah. And it was really quite an honor for me. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, kudos to you for that. I, I had the real honor of meeting Phil Hill years ago when I was vintage racing. He was the... Um, the main guy that was invited up here to the Pacific Northwest Pacific Raceways to be part of our big three-day vintage weekend event. So uh, I was racing a Lotus 18 and got to meet him, and I got a great picture of him with my son. And, of course, Derek's been a guest on my show here at Cars Yeah, sure. so got to talk with him a little bit. So uh, Phil Hill, yeah, one of my heroes for sure. So congratulations for that. Fantastic. And we're going to talk a little bit more in, in a moment about Drive Towards the Cure because I want to make sure the listeners know about that. But let's have a little fun first and go back and talk about your first first really special car, that first car that had some meaning to you and maybe share a memory you have of that vehicle. Oh, gosh. Um, I think the first car that I really felt ever attached to actually didn't belong to me. It, it, it belonged to my dad. Mm-hmm. And he had a 63 Beetle. And it was blue. And it had that, that really nice cognac color interior color. <laughs> nice. And it had a cognac color kind of crank sunroof top. You know, uh-huh. the big uh, yeah. canvas one that went back. Oh, yeah. And it had that metal crank to open it. And I just loved when he drove me in that car. Yeah. It had that type of a manual transmission where where reverse was in the same position as first gear, but you had to press down yeah, push, to get into uh, yeah, reverse. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, push down over the left and up. Yep. That's right. And I remember my dad trying to teach my mom to drive stick on it. <laughs> and I was a little kid, and, and my brother and I were in the house upstairs, and 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 she was not much of a driver to begin with, and she was also a very, very quiet woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she must have put the car into first instead of putting it into reverse, because oh. she, when she went to head down the driveway, she crashed into the garage door. Oh, no. Oh, no. And the entire house shook, and you know, my brother and I ran to the windows. And I don't know if we were more afraid of her crashing in or shaking more at the thought of her jumping out of that car and screaming at my dad that she never wanted to touch this again. <laughs> yeah. Because we never heard her raise her voice, you know? Yeah, and, sure. And all I knew was, gosh, I, I really want to drive that car. <laughs> 
I love that car. And the funny part is, I was I was at uh, the Greenwich Concours this last June, and I went into the uh, the Bonhams auction, mm-hmm. and they had an ivory colored one mm. that looked, you know, except for the coloring, was the same car. Yeah. And uh, it was everything within my power not to sign up to to bid on that car. I'll because bet. it just has that emotional attachment for me every time I see it. Yep. You know, I. Gosh, it was just a great memory and a fun time in my childhood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My sister had a VW Bug. I think hers was a 73 and – no, 68. And I had a 67 Carmen Ghia when we were in high school. Yeah. So we had those cars. VW Bugs are great for sure. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned and let go that you wish you had back in the garage? You know, I tend to drive a lot more cars than I've actually owned. I've been fortunate uh, <laughs> through, yeah, through my are. work, you know, how that goes. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so the ones that I've owned, I've, you know, that my husband and I have had, we've kept for a very long time. Mm. So I, I really don't have anything that I'd really complain about or, or really miss that much. You know, in, in general, I'm a big fan of convertibles and roadsters. Yeah. And I've got an older 325 convertible that's got really low miles. It's a 2004. Ah. It's an E46 and it yeah. runs great. It's got a great engine. Uh-huh. And as I told my son, it's going to keep going. He's like, he's like, mom, it doesn't have a screen in it. You know, how can, <laughs> how can you drive a car that doesn't have a screen in it? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, just leave it with me. I yeah. love this car. Yeah. You know, I'm going to keep it as long as it'll have me. That's for sure. Yeah, they're great. My son has an 01325CI. It's not a convertible coupe, but it's just fantastic car. Uh, been a great car. We bought it for him when he was uh, 16. He's had it all the way through college. And uh, yeah, they're really, really nice cars for sure. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about Drive Towards the Cure to help us resolve the Parkinson's issue in the world. Oh my gosh, horrible disease. Tell our listeners about Drive Towards the Cure, what it is, how they can get involved, and what you're doing with it. Drive Toward a Cure is really a vision for me. I'll give you a little bit of background. I've been involved with the uh, the Danville Concord to Elegance in Northern California for about the last decade. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I got involved in that, you know, because of our relationship with Phil Hill. And that was a Concord that was raising funds for Parkinson's and, and was giving to the Parkinson's Institute. And after he passed away, uh, I stayed on you know, their committees. And I'm the only one from LA pretty much that, that comes up there every year to continue being a part of it. And one of the things that I instituted for them about six or seven years ago was something we called the Tour de Elegance. Mm. And that was, you know, a Saturday program because this was a weekend of automotive charity events. They did the Concours in the historic town of Danville on Sundays, and they did a dinner at the Blackhawk Car Collector Museum on, on Saturday night. But they didn't do anything that was really interactive that allowed all of the car collectors that live in that community to truly get involved on another level. So I thought it would be great if we created a one-day driving program that would just go from the East Bay up to Napa, have lunch at a winery, and come back in plenty of time to rest up for the dinner gala. And we've now been doing that for about six or seven years, and it's been quite a success. We cap it at 50 cars, and we have pretty much vintage, collectibles, exotics, luxury cars. It's, it's a mishmash, but it's people that really enjoy driving, and we're you know on a scenic path, yeah. not a straight drive mm-hmm. up to Napa. And through that, people have been saying, why don't we do a weekend program? Why don't we do something a little bit more? And I started thinking about it, and I, I wanted to, to try to create something that would allow more people to get involved and do something that could be a little bit broader. And this year, my mom, who, who also had been challenged by Parkinson's, mm. would have been 90. 
And it's now 10 years since I've lost her. And I thought, if I'm going to do anything, this is the year to do it so that kind of in my heart of hearts, I could honor her a little bit. And I could reach out to the community that I've been a part of for so long and see if we might be able to come together and create something. Mm -hmm. So the vision is Drive Toward a Cure. And for the first inaugural drive, which is going to be the last weekend in April 2017, we're trying to create two simultaneous drives, one coming from the Black Hawk Museum and going down to Paso Robles in Central California, and the other starting at the Peterson Museum in Los Angeles and moving up to Paso Robles. Cool. And through that, the drives are going to be very scenic. We'll we'll stop at some car facilities. We're going to be at the John Mozart collection. We're going to do some other things. And I'm also teamed up with a gentleman by the name of Nigel Evans, who I worked with for many years at Ferrari. And he did a lot of their owners driving programs Mm. and their global rallies all around the world. So he's really keen at, at putting together these wonderful drives that are full of twisties and challenges and and fun ways to go. And he creates something that he terms as special stages, which adds to a little bit of competition and camaraderie. And you kind of go through cones and you do different challenges. And we'll do those along the way as well. Nice. And so the weekend will just be a lifestyle weekend. You Mm -hmm. don't have to have a certain type of a car necessarily. And you don't have to have a certain type of a driving level. Um, we're just really looking for people that that want to be a part of it, that that want to you know help contribute to raise funds for for Parkinson's. Five hundred dollars of every entry is going to go toward Parkinson's, and it's going to be split between the Michael J. Fox Foundation and the Parkinson's Institute in Northern California. So it's a, it's a nice combination. We're starting to get just now. We just started our website. We just opened registration, and we're starting to get some partners and and sponsors on board. Haggerty Insurance is on board with us. Of course, the museums are on board with us. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a few driving clubs. So it it will hopefully be successful. And and from there, we'll continue it throughout the country. Fantastic. And obviously, an easy way for our listeners to find it is drivetowardacure.com? Dot com or dot org. O-R-G. Either one. All right, great. Well, I'll make sure that's listed on your show notes page. I know in my weekly emails for those subscribers here at Carja, you've been seeing it for the last few weeks. You're going to see links to it there as well up until the event. Thank so, you. Uh, yeah, Thank absolutely. You so happy to help. Happy to help. Fantastic thing that you're doing there. Really, really brilliant. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Deb. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? And why? Oh, gosh. gosh. <laughs> I don't know exactly which individual one, but I'd, it would have to be a vintage car. Okay. Something from the 50s are the types of cars that I'm so attracted to. I think I'm just an old soul of sorts, and I'm pretty <laughs> nostalgic, and I love old roadsters. Yeah. So those, those are the things that I think I would enjoy coming back as and for. No doubt a car without a top. That would be uh, definite. Right. Got to be a convertible. So uh, Yeah. I guess I'd be aging myself if I mentioned that I used to watch my mother the car. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, let's narrow this down a little bit more. So uh, would it be an Italian car, a German car, British car, American car? Um, I think the one that would be the same as the one I'd keep forever, and that would have to be German. Ah, German car. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. we'll get to that dream collector car in a few moment question. But up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253 253- 
722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom-tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Okay, Deb, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Remember to change your oil. Yeah, (laughs) every 3,000 miles, no matter what they say. Oh, my God. First car I ever owned, Mark, um, my dad had given me an old family car, and I drove it to the ground, and I never knew you had to change the oil. And I was I was 17, and I was constantly getting towed away by AAA <laughs> until I finally blew that transmission. So I can tell you, you need to change your oil. Yeah, change the fluids in your car, definitely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Um, I think it's relationship management. It's It's staying connected to people. You know, I I love my friends in the industry and I love making new friends and it's really making sure that you don't lose touch. You know, obviously Facebook has been great for that, but I really enjoy the email contact back and forth and just the the old-fashioned telephone. That works wonders, doesn't it? A lot of people don't think of calling people these days and I've talked to many people who go, well, it's nice to get a call. Nobody calls me anymore. So yeah, there's a little tip for you young folks out there. If you're trying to land an account, a job, a sponsor, give them a call. You'll be surprised who answers the phone. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of great resources out there. Drive toward a cure is one. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) That's the one. So that's the one for me right now. (laughs) Right now. We'll make sure that's listed on your show notes page. And how about a book? Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners should get their hands on? Well, they definitely should because it's now in the second printing. And that's one more than 10, Singer Vehicle Design and the Porsche 911. Ah, uh, yes, I have that book, thanks to you. Uh, of course, Rob's been a guest here on the show. And I'll tell you, if you love cars, especially Porsches, older 911s, but if you love cars in general, it is a fantastic book. I, it sits on my coffee table. I'm looking at it right now. Thank you. I love that book. It's one of those books, the very few books I've opened up and read through, and I get this angst that I have to get one of those cars. Oh, it just drives me crazy. I now knowing what goes into engineering those and building them even more so, but uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Fantastic. Really nicely done. And one lucky Car Jazz subscriber is going to win a copy of this book. So go to carsjazz.com, click on the free book button, and your name will be in the drawing. Thanks to uh, Deb and Rob, one more than 10. You could be a winner. Drawing will be held on Christmas Eve. 
And listeners, you can find links to all these great resources on Deb's show notes page at carsyad.com slash Deb Pollack, P-O-L-L-A-C-K. And there's also a great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where this book and the past 667, 66 guests now, books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. It's a great resource if you love books for sure. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Deb, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car, something really fun, vintage in your garage, but don't worry about the price because I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. Christmas is coming. (laughs) You like that? Yeah, most of my guests do. So what would that vehicle be, and more importantly, why? Hands down, it would be a 356 Speedster. Ooh, okay. Hands down. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think they're beautiful. Um, they're timeless. They're cool. They're James Dean. It's about freedom. You know, it, it makes you want to drive with the top down no matter what the temperature is. I can take out all my scarves and wear a different one every day. And it's just that free feeling, you know, and, and I live in California. I love the coast. You know, driving all the way up the coast in a Speedster, that would be that would be it for me. Oh, man, you're tugging on my heartstrings here, Deb, because uh, as you know, I'm a Porsche fan and the Speedster has been a car that uh, I've wanted forever, and I'm afraid that that boat has sailed because they're just so crazy. The prices right now, I know. And- oh, I know. My my Speedster's in college right now. My my son's at USC, so. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I won't be getting one for quite some time. Yeah, I bought two Speedsters because I sent two kids through private college. So yeah, yeah, I know exactly what that's all about. Yeah, it's just crazy uh, where the prices have gone on those cars. And when, when you kind of sit back, they're really a little VW bug is what they are. I mean, they're not super fast. They're uh, kind of uh, noisy and squeaky and loud. But, uh, yeah, the look and feel definitely has been on my bucket <sighs> list forever. Yep. So what color would you like that Speedster to be? Red. Red. Okay. Ruby red. Yep. A you great, betcha. great color. Definitely red. Oh, nice. Well, we share a uh, passion, that's for sure, in cars and in our taste in cars. So very nice. Well, Deb, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed learning more about you. Thank you, Mark. Oh, yeah, it's been great. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head up off the coast highway in that 356 Porsche Speedster? <laughs> Oh, man, I I just say imagine the possibilities, you know, stay connected to people, learn to say yes, and just just go. Just, just go. go. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Drive Toward a Cure? Uh, just go online. We've got a Facebook page as well. Ah, perfect. Okay, we'll make sure that's uh, linked up there. And again, I would encourage you folks out there, uh, check out what she's doing. If you want to enjoy a spectacular event, I mean, Deb is somebody who's put on so many events. She knows how to do these things. This is going to be a spectacular event. If you can't be there, you can't drive, uh, go on board, help out a little bit. A really, really worthy cause, obviously. We have also are going to have a section on there for people that don't want to be a sponsor and don't want to uh, necessarily can't afford to be an entrant. Um, you can make a donation of, of any price range. And if you donate at $500 or more, you can be considered a friend of Drive Toward a Cure. And we'll put up your logo and your URL for a year. And so, there you know, you help us out and we'll thank you. Absolutely. Great time of year to be thinking about that as well. So listeners, again, you can find links to everything Deb's shared on her Cars Yeah show notes page. Just type Deb in the search bar and that page will pop right up. Hey, Deb, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a pleasure. You know, you're one of the people I enjoy the most when I go to events, and I really appreciate you sharing some things with me. Thank you very much. Pleasure's all mine. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.